It's now time for Race Chat Live with Chris Creighton and Craig Moore. All right, everybody. Welcome. I don't know why that's came Wide open when the lights turn green. Yeah, buddy. There we go. All right, everybody, we are live on Blog Talk Radio and Zoom. If you've seen the link in the show description, uh, you will be able to log on. You just click on it, and it will let you in. Welcome to Race Chat Live. I am Craig Moore. I know Taz Taylor is joining us as well, and fresh off of his trip to none other than Talladega, Mr. Chris Creighton, how are you guys? <laughs> All right, well, I don't know who is controlling the board, but somebody could let me in. Let me in. All right, well. Hello? Everybody have... should be on now. All right. Well, CJ Sports here. Uh, I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to another edition of Race Chat Live. Chris is back from his trip, or should be back rather, from his trip to Caladega, and he is going to tell us all about it. I am sure. But you were camping next to someone that uh, we're going to try to get on the show here in a couple of weeks, hopefully. You want to tell us who that is and how you made out with that connection, Chris? (laughs) Well, yeah, it was uh, Cody Ware. Unfortunately, we never caught him coming out of his motorhome. Uh, We've seen seen Mr. Rick Ware at a distance there, uh, but Cody pretty much stayed to himself and kind of, I guess, hidden in his uh, motor coach. Uh, I was hoping that he would join the festivities that was going on at the Talladega Pit camping and RV resort and when I say resort I mean resort because those guys treated us first class and uh, that was our first time staying over there at the Talladega pit stop RV campground and resort and we just want to uh, give our extended thanks to the hospitality and the, uh, the just the great atmosphere that they've created over there in that in, in, in that camping uh, facility that is awesome now you were there what Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you left last night after the race. Uh, yes. So what was? Tell us what the whole experience was like from start to finish, and I'm sure you guys watched the ARCA race and that uh, the awesome I, I shouldn't say awesome fire, but the the fireball that uh, happened during the um, ARCA race as well. Well, um, so we didn't make it to the ARCA race. Uh, it was a little bit earlier than, than we had planned, but we did watch it uh, through our Chromecast in our, in our RV. And uh, it, was, it was pretty good. Uh, I don't think any of our group actually made it over for the ARCA event. Now, the Xfinity event, we skipped as well. Um, we, we were just mainly there for the cup race. But now, we bought tickets, and we had family members and stuff that were at the Xfinity event. 
Um, but uh, that was another race that uh, we decided that on Saturday, it's kind of a, a hectic day because that's our last full day uh, enjoying the camping. And uh, I'll be real honest with you, Craig Moore, Talladega is an experience in itself, the racetrack, but without the camping experience, you're only getting half of what Talladega is only uh, all about. So Saturday is a really important day to, you know, sit back and chill, enjoy the campgrounds, enjoy your neighbors, get to know people. Of course, you have people in your group. It's also a day that the kids go with Papa uh, and get to go watch the race with him uh, while me and Mama get some, uh, get some our time. And uh, that's kind of what we did uh, this past weekend. Um, but now that wasn't a single lap missed for the cup race. That's for sure. And, and, and it was a good thing that we did stay back. Uh, for the Xfinity race because we got a hell of a storm. I know that they had declared the winner uh, before the actual storm blew in. That was the first set of rain bands that come in. But about 30 or 45 minutes uh, after the race was called, we got a supercell that come through. And I tell you what, it got nasty quick. And so we were able to save our camp and get the awning pulled in and all before uh, – before I, I mean, when I say it was 45 to 70 miles an hour wind, uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, right next door to us at the Talladega Short Track, uh, some trees got blown over on some campers and stuff. Uh, thankfully, everybody that we know was okay. And uh, yeah, what's up on the thumbs down, dude? What's the thumbs down? At? Oh, okay. But uh, all in all, you know, it's it's a great experience. We've been going since 2010, and uh, it's just uh, it's turned into a family event. So I'm still trying to get into this Zoom, Craig, and I, I just can't get it, man. I just cannot figure it out. It says launch meeting. Uh, let's see what it does here. All right. Well, while you're doing that, Joey Logano had some interesting comments. After, uh, well, first off, first off, we bust. I want to, I want to talk about the Bubba incident, Jeff Gordon, Jeff Gordon Bubba Bubba Wallace incident yesterday. So being at the track, we didn't even get to know that that went on. So I, I actually come home and watched uh, the race and watched what you were talking about. And so I, I have a, I have, uh, I have to agree with you. But go ahead into your dialogue. It was a shit move. Excuse my French. Um, you know, he's coming up, he's talking, you take your headphones off, you know, you know that they're going to be doing the pit walk. And there's a good chance, since you're an attention whore, that you're going to be come to, and you're going to be come up to, and you're going to, and somebody's going to want to talk to you. To blow them off just showed the lack of respect that, I felt that Bubba showed um, that he showed Jeff Gordon not only as an interviewer but a legend in NASCAR to blow him off. I, and I don't really want to throw a conspiracy theory out. I usually let you do that, Chris. but Or I do it and then you follow me. But if that was the other way around the press for that would have been astronomically bad. You, I mean, you know, I just found it, I just found it distasteful. Now I will say 
that I am glad that Bubba did not get hurt in that uh, Joey Logano wreck. I mean, excuse me. I am glad that he didn't get hurt. He okay. had a good day on it all. I mean, I think he finished in the top 20. He led 16 laps. Uh, the person that really was not in good shape was Denny Hamlin. Not only did I think he led the speeding or he led the penalties, uh, not something you want to lead, but he led the penalties, and two of them was for speeding on pit road, and he got caught in the same exact spot that uh, he did the time before. So, all right. We're going to get you guys in here. We figured out how to do this, I believe. Yep. So, I just think it's, I, I just think that, um, you know, I, he had a good day all in all. I, I just think that it was a total travesty what he did to Jeff Gordon by blowing him off. And I think that uh, it could have been, well, there you are on the Zoom. I think that, I think that, uh, love that flag behind you. I think he could have handled it a lot better. And I showed just what a class act he isn't. And I think that, you know, Kyle Bush gets penalized all the time when he when he pissed and doesn't want to talk to reporters. And uh, I think maybe NASCAR needs to do something, something with Bubba on that as well. Chris, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Well, first of all, if you're in the Zoom and you see what's behind me, that's banned at all NASCAR tracks. So yeah, you definitely got the NASCAR that my daddy watched, okay? Um, or my grandfather. But uh, so, you know, here's your LeBron James of NASCAR, right? I mean, that's, uh, he's, he's, he's kind of taken the protege of LeBron James. LeBron James likes to open mouth and insert foot. Uh, MJ is quite the opposite. He said Republicans buy, speak, buy sneakers too. So, uh, you know, that's who his owner is. And, and, and just the blow-off there, I mean, I wonder what MJ felt about that because, I, you know, you, you, you have to think that there's some guidance counseling going on there between what MJ expects from his drivers and how to conduct themselves. And there was never a time in Michael Jordan's entire career that I could tell you one time he pushed off a reporter. That was the time for him to make his brand bigger. Yeah, buddy. And 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 whoever the 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 headphone, whoever was in his headphone, if he was talking to somebody, or he was taking instructions from crew chiefs, or maybe he just didn't even hear the question. When he swatted at that microphone to get it away, he didn't do this number. He moved the microphone out of the way. That was very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. Cass, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Well, uh, bushy, bushy bitch. Like you said, gets fine when he doesn't do interviews, hence when they do the commercials, and he does his line of, I'm just here so I don't get fined. But, yeah, yep. you can have Hubba Bubba, you know, just sitting there prepping for his race. Like, I can understand. Like he, He's, like, prepping himself, putting himself in the mind frame like any other athlete would. But if a reporter comes up to you, wants to do an interview, I don't care if it's a freaking pit walk or if it's um, you hop in a car and they try to interview you like they used to do for the IROC series back in those days. You do the interview. 
I don't care if you're – it doesn't matter if you're a basketball player or – I mean, when they do, like, pre-sports interviews, it – I mean, it's not even racing in general. You can do basketball, and I know in soccer they do this a lot too, and I'm sure they do this in the NBA. I don't I don't really watch much of NBA, to be quite honest, and I'm pretty – I feel I think they do it with MLB. Someone can correct me there. But like, you can do these interviews before you go. I don't care if you're like right on court or if you're in your own locker room or in your own motorhome. If you have a free coverage interview that needs to be done, then go freaking do it. I don't care who you are. The whole reason, Taz. There's a whole reason, guys, that there's the whole thing called it's. Uh, I'm here so I don't get fired. Like, that's, there's a reason why that's, that is a saying, right? Because they know that their obligation is to speak to the media. So with the whole shrug off, it really just shows the entitlement that Bubba has, like, that, you know, he doesn't, in my, in my book, in what I see here, he doesn't appreciate the sponsorship. He doesn't appreciate where he is. And he definitely doesn't appreciate that. We're back at the spot where all this controversy started. Listen, I only got one thing to say. Interviewers matter. That's it. Interviewers' lives matter. Go ahead, Chris. No, no, I I agree 100%. It looks bad on the sport. Anytime that, uh, you know, that that Fox takes the time to put microphones out on the gridwalk and you've got a driver, he had no reason to be pissed off. Yeah, it was, was before the race. He handled that completely irresponsible. And what's even worse, you try to find it right now on Twitter, the Jeff Gordon and Bubba Wallace, even, they've even cut it off. You can't really search for it. If you search for Bubba Wallace, Jeff Gordon, nothing comes up. But if you search Jeff Gordon, you'll find where people have commented about how Bubba handled that. So they're censoring the whole, the whole idea that, that Bubba blew off the cameras, which is something I've never seen before in any sport, somebody actually censoring the comment uh, about something that happened on live TV. Well, and I think that's – I think they're trying to do their best to uh, protect, protect Bubba and not give him a whole lot of bad press. I don't agree with it. I think the man should – I think NASCAR should find him. Um Maybe find him 50 points. I mean, he's already in the cellar. Find him 50 points and, or find him 50 points, find him $10,000. And maybe MJ will figure out, hey, maybe this isn't the guy we want leading our team. And I honestly thought we were watching the race yesterday that, um, that they got the wrong driver? Yeah. That they should have signed Eric Jones? They should have signed that somebody my other mind than many times. Yeah. yeah. Eric Jones was definitely the guy that was in that car. I, I believe um, 100% Eric Jones belonged in that car. I mean, I just, I, I just find what he did was tasteless. And had it been the other way around, he would have cried racist. He would have cried that... You know, Gordon oh, wasn't ready for any TV time. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so, like, he could, 
he, he's never had the problem of being able to get on TV. Unlike drivers like we're going to talk to tonight, Carl Long, the only time we ever hear Carl Long's name is when he's getting in trouble by NASCAR. That we never get to see. I mean, Joey Gates did a tribute to the Davy Allison car. We we got maybe two minutes of that the entire. And I understand he was he's a back of the pack car, but that was a very important uh, thing that Joey Gates was doing at the land that Allison built. I mean, exactly. You know, uh, you've got drivers in the back of the pack there that run in the same positions Bubba Wallace runs in. That would love to have just a couple of minutes. Did we get to hear from Eric Jones? Did we get to hear from Chris Busher? Did we get to hear from Ron Priest? But we got to talk to Bubba twice, and the first time he pushed us off, the second time he did an interview on the in, I guess the in-car camera under a caution. Clint Boyer yeah, and Gordon Ray were talking I was actually kind of surprised he did that. Um, but then maybe Denny radioed him and said, listen, don't do that again. You know, this or is your somebody. I don't. I don't think somebody. Denny Hamlin has the day to the day to day operation like that. But I'm sure somebody in the higher ups of the company that's in control of that. You know, kind of. You know, people forget Todd Norris was the PR guy behind Dale Jr. Nothing come out of Dale Jr.'s mouth that wasn't already well. We know the couple of times that he, he wasn't screened. He, he made uh, some uh, comments that actually cost him a championship one year. Uh, but Todd Norris Lee was the guy who kept things rolling in motion. I'm very sure Bubba Wallace has the same PR people uh, that Dale Jr. had. I mean, not the same people, but the same team put together for right. him. The same style of people. Right. And we're wasting way too much time on this subject because we all know Bubba Wallace is a mid-pack driver. He's 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 only semi-talented. Uh, he's not the future of NASCAR. He's not Lewis Hamilton, though he wants to be. He's not, and he never will be. He had a good run at Talladega. He finished exactly where we thought he would. I believe 16th. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't honestly think he's going to be a big threat. He led 16 laps, so we're going to get off this subject because Taz wants to talk about uh, Eric Jones and Dibby as well. Is that a cat or a dog? That's a cat. Yeah, that's a cat. That's Leanne. That's Leanne? Leanne. She's named after my sister. Ah, well, oh, Leanne. Kaz, you wanted to touch on some things, too. Let's talk about what you want to talk about at the bottom of the hour. At the bottom of the hour, we got Carl Long coming on, as Chris mentioned. I uh, don't know if he's going to be able to do the Zoom thing or not, but uh, hopefully he will be able to. Hopefully he will be able to. If not, I definitely want to replay this show tomorrow. Um Want to do say that we had like 43 listeners last week for Lori Fallis and the Mohawk Valley uh, Vintage Dirt Modified Series. So that's good. Numbers are going up every single week, folks. And uh, that's what we need. That was That is definitely what we need. We may continue to do these Zoom meetings now that we got Chris involved and he's figured it out. We can get Taz to do it. Um that would be even well, I better. Say, I don't really have an office here. I don't really have a studio. I'm kind of giving away my secret here. Been doing podcasts for about eight years. And uh, I had a built-in studio at one point in time that I had a makeshift. But uh, I took it down years ago. So this is what we're going to have right now. And if you don't like the flag behind me, you're probably in the wrong Zoom. That's right. Taz, what do you got, buddy? 
So Chris pointed out the Thumbman Jones. He, I was swearing to God for the longest time. I was sitting here and I'm like, Thumbman Jones, if he gets a better finish than Hubba Bubba this week, I think MJ is going to shoot himself in the foot even more because you have Thumbman Jones who literally, I think, got kind of screwed at JGR, but I don't know, being as how Bell is at the moment. I mean, Bell did get a win on a road course of all places, but Bell hasn't really, Ding Dong Bell hasn't really done all that much per se. He's been kind of quiet fly under the radar for the most part. But some man Jones has put that 43 car where Hubba Bubba couldn't. But yet, let's put Hubba Bubba in a freaking fifth JGR car. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I believe Eric Jones. That's exactly what it is. It's a fifth JGR car. They've said it, I don't know how many times this year, they've slipped. And clearly, so. Eric Jones is the better driver here, clearly. I mean, the yeah. guy's got to win. He's got a restrictor play win. He almost, he could have damn near won Talladega if the caution had not come out. Uh, it was going to be between him and Matt Diamondesco. But you, do you see how what happens every time that late, that uh, overtime caution comes out? One of the big guys always winds up winning. You know, I mean, it's just Brad Keselowski come out of nowhere. He wrecked somewhere in the – you know, he got wrecked by his teammate uh, at the beginning of the race, the first, the end of the first stage, Logano when he turns over. He makes contact with Keselowski. And uh, there at the end, he, he pulls off a win. But at that last caution, it was going to be a fight between Dean Bedetto and Eric Jones. And unfortunately uh, – but fortunate for – for Keselowski, because, I mean, he's got a very prominent record there that we'll get into in just a minute. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it could have been a completely different scenario. And Eric Jones lines up facing traffic there at the end of the race. Well, if – well, how I thought with the race, and I was actually hoping for it at the end before the caution came out, I'm sitting here watching Debbie lead lap after lap, and I'm like, all right, just keep him in front. And you look at the two cars behind him, and it was – Penske cars, Blaney and Keselowski, and I'm sitting here like, I know that Keselowski wants to win, and he's going to play a chess in a checkers game, which clearly he does very well at Talladega, which is why you can never ignore him and can never put him outside of he's a huge favorite to win at Dega, but with but Blaney at the same time with how he is a Talladega, you know, winning the last two races there. It, to me, I was just sitting there like, you know, let Dibby win. I mean, be his first win. Wood Brothers 100th win. You're affiliated with Penske. Penske, you're help. You have two Penske cars behind Dibby. Just keep you. All, all you got to do is Keselowski sitting in third. All you got to do is. You know, block, obviously block the right way like you say you should be doing instead of the aggressive block that you hate have having to happen at these kind of racetracks. And, of course, the caution came out, and I was like, ah, crap. So then the restart came, and, and Matt DiBenedetto went up front and kept there until he took the white flag. At that point, I can't. You can't really blame anybody in a sense because, as you said, Chris, it was a dogfight between Jones and Dibby, but Dibby was the guy in front, and unfortunately, Dibby made the wrong move because 
obviously he thought the outside lane would have prevailed being that you're on a straightaway and we came off a corner. But he didn't think about, oh, we're going into turns one and two where the inside's going to have more of the advantage. And he just took the wrong way. It, he he thought he had a move in, in plan where Talladega's going to be like Daytona, but unfortunately Talladega is just a different monster. Yes, it's a super speedway race. Yes, you're racing the same like Daytona, but Talladega, you're more racy than Daytona. There's more room at Talladega. So it was instead of you're trying to block two lanes, you're trying to really prevent three, sometimes four, if people want to get that daring. It, it just came down to who played their last cards at the right time, and Brad came to came to play chess in a checkers game that everybody else, everyone played checkers, and Brad's like, I'm playing chess. Oh, smart, every single one of you. Hey, I mean, he did. He he pulled it out there at the end. Uh, like I said earlier, almost uh, totaled, you know, almost wrecked out uh, by his teammate once again uh, at the beginning of the race. The aggressor this 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 time around was definitely Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin caused more trouble in this race than I think we've uh, we've seen from him in the past. So he's pretty aggressive at, at plate track. Three time Daytona 500 winner. I mean, you know, you kind of expect him to be an aggressive driver, uh, but. Uh, um, you know, Keselowski hung back. He did what he was supposed to do. I disagree with you, Taz. I feel like that the guys from Penske believe that they are superior to the D'Ambedetto team, the Wood Brothers team, because that team is a satellite team, and the last thing that you want to do is get whooped with your own equipment, and that's what D'Ambedetto was about to do. Plus, D'Ambedetto is probably the Harris to the number two team. I really believe that Keselowski will not be there at the end of the season. I think Keselowski knows he's not going to be there at the end of the season. And uh, the hair to this to this car is eventually going to be Matt D'Ambedetto anyway. Uh, but I do want to get into the Joey Logano comment uh, after his wreck that uh, you know, he basically asked NASCAR, at what point in time are we going to quit racing like this? I think a lot of us jumped the gun and thought, is he talking about, like, uh, Play racing? Is he talking about super speedway racing? I think that part of the conspiracy was blown a little bit out of proportion. I think what he was mainly uh, talking about, if you'll read up most of his, all of his comments, he was basically saying the package that they've been running. And I agree. They have this slip tape on the back of these cars that's causing the nose to slip out from up underneath uh, the other nose because what they don't want is they don't want the cars hooking up. But if that's the case and we get into these pack runs and they start bumping off of each other, Craig Moore, what's going to happen? Taz, what's going to happen? Exactly what Denny Hamlin did twice. His front yeah. end is going to run off the bumper, and we're going to have a humongous wreck. And what we've seen with Logano's car flipping upside down was the same way that we've seen Ryan Newman back in 09 flip upside down when the tail end hit the wind. So Logano well, is exactly right. The, the the spoiler on these cars are too big. Well, I said well, that yesterday. Well, I said that yesterday when we were watching the race. I said, "Man, those spoilers are awful tall." 
They're tall in general. The only time they're not tall is a short track package. And they just seemed a lot taller yesterday. Nice tail, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's Ajax. He's the king of the house. <laughs> I just, Trust I, me, our but, animals missed us a lot while we were gone. <laughs> They've been clingy all day. They um, The one thing I did notice, and I haven't noticed, and maybe I just don't pay attention, but I noticed it because of the in-cars, was there is a clear strip on the back so they can see through them. Yes. Like and I thought that was... I thought that was quite interesting, but we did have a question on the Zoom. I see that. Uh, <laughs> was that real, or was it just me that seen that? So there's actually people watching our Zoom. Yeah, yeah. That is um, the question. Is this why are the tires smooth when street tires need traction, need to tread to grip the uh, to grip the pavement? So, you know. I'm not an expert in tires. I'm an expert in a lot of things. Music is one of them. Um, let us know when our guest, too, is in the room. But why do they have smooth tires? Race cars have smooth top, smooth tires so that they can have more grip, making the racer perform better on the racetrack. Smoother tires mean that more rubber will, con- will be in contact with the road. This is because the contact patch or the oval-shaped area on the tire touches the road it's wider. I, I just the more you know, tire it, it, that touches the surface, the more tire on the surface, the better grip you have. And that's known. And that's that's it. not only. And uh, if you'll see dirt track drivers, the first thing they do on a brand new tire is what, Craig? What do they do? They grind that sucker down. They grind the son of a bitches down, and it's the craziest thing. They just pay they just pay six hundred bucks for for four tires. And the first thing they do is they bust out the old grinder on them. <laughs> so, I mean, I actually, uh, I've actually seen them do that, and I was like, hmm. And then somebody asked me if I wanted to grind tires last week at Fonda, and I was like, no, I'll pass. <laughs> well, the if reason why asking... asphalt tires are, are bald and dirt tires are grooved is because you're, you're, you basically – you need the the groove of the tires in dirt track racing to uh, to 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 help move the dirt up underneath because you know of course dirt moves uh, asphalt and concrete does not so a smoother tire is actually uh, more beneficial but I believe that we're going to see more groove tires in short track racing coming up as we've been uh, testing a certain tire at uh, Martinsville and, I believe, Richmond. So on some certain short tracks that are flat, I do believe we're going to be experimenting a groove tire, especially during uh, maybe light rain or wet conditions. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting. Uh, We're waiting, just so you know, we are waiting for Mr. Farrell Long to join us earlier in my video. It looks like we have him. Nice. Earlier in my video, I said uh, Carl Edwards, and I was like, I, I mean Carl Long. But, yeah. All right, Chris, I'll let you do the introductions, my friend. All right, well, welcome to the studio, Mr. Carl Long, uh, longtime veteran NASCAR driver, Xfinity, 
uh, Cup winner. He's uh, been uh, been around for quite some time. He's uh, I believe he owns three race teams. Uh, is that is that correct, Carl? How you doing, sir? Thank you for coming on Race Chat Live. We're glad to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on there, Mr. Carl Long. Uh, just getting back and trying to clean up all the stuff from Talladega and get turned around and uh, get ready for our next event. Sounds good. So you are the owner of MBM Motorsports. You own a cup team and Xfinity team, right? We have three cars that participate in Xfinity, and I, I have two numbers in cup, but I only use the second number at um, at Daytona when we carry two two cup cars to Daytona. And uh, and right now we're struggling a little bit to find sponsorship to keep running the, the cup car every week. So we probably will not be going to Kansas this week either. Now, that has something to do with the Timmy Hill situation, right, Mr. Long? It depends on how you look at it that way. Uh, well, we would, love to, we, we would love to hear that side of it. That is a very interesting topic on how that happened. Well, it uh, it's all about finding sponsorship. Everything's about finding money, and uh, NASCAR cut the, the open series, the open cars, they cut our purse $20,000 a race uh, this year, and they gave it to the chartered cars. So um, where I, I could go to a race before um, and, and, and accumulate a fifteen dollars to $25,000 sponsor, depending on where we raced, um, it, now I have to ask for $20,000 more just to be able to race at the back of the field like we raced. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to get those $150,000 sponsors where I can compete with the other cars, but people just don't have a clue how much it costs to carry these things to the track. Right. Right. And, and, and Carl, you've, uh, you've been doing this a long time. You've, you've kind of, uh, made a name for yourself as a, uh, as a support class racer, um, We've had Rick Ware's team on, and they talked a little bit about the financial situation and all. Uh, Carl, how do you how do you go about getting the sponsors to to help you out each week? Well, I mean, I know it's tooth and nail, uh, but but what are some of the things that you kind of use to lure a sponsorship, or, or is it just a, a call? How how does this go about? Sir? It's thousands of different ways. Everybody treats it differently. Um, you know, for us, I don't have a magic recipe to make any of that happen, or I would wouldn't be struggling. Um, but you know, we use everything that we have available to us to try to promote our sponsors and have them be a part of what we do. And you know, iRacing racing was big for us. We were trying to sell that because it's kind of a free TV deal, and we were able to make that work for us for Talladega when they told us that we would be back in it. Um, and uh, we used our Xfinity sponsor with uh, the Auto Parts Less Group and our uh, cup sponsor, Supreme Transportation, and uh, gave them a little extra TV time uh, due to iRacing. And, you know, it worked out pretty good for all of us. But, um, you know, I'm still struggling. We've got Darlington coming up, and we are – we are struggling to to put sponsorship together for Darlington, even though we do have an iRace thing. It's just um, 
biggest thing that I'm hearing is not so much the businesses uh, throughout the world are, are struggling. It's finding people that want to work. Uh, a lot of people would rather draw unemployment and stay at home than they would to come out and work right now. And those businesses are, are struggling. Carl, well, I'm a long-time is... fan of yours for, I mean, when I say long time, I can remember being as uh, more mad than anybody. I believe it was in the 07 All-Star race uh, when they when they dropped the hammer on you. Um, I, and I've heard you on Sirius XM before, and, and you've had issues on on keeping employment, right? You've had, you've had guys that basically signed on with you, and then the next week, hey, they got a better job, and they say sayonara to Carl. How does that, I mean... That, that that you take one step forward, it seems like everything makes uh, one step forward equals two steps back. Yeah, well, what people don't realize, and it is it's, it's myself and and other teams that are, um, you know, scrapping to get through, and we don't have the big budgets, we don't have the private uh, jets that we lease out and and get back and forth to the track. So we drive a van back and forth and. My pick crew drives in the van most of the time, and uh, we put this type of stuff together. But if you come here um, uh, fresh out of college, whether it's the UNOH technical school or NASCAR tech, you don't get hired by a big team. They they don't look for that. They want to know your experience. Well, you got no experience. You were a kid that. Uh, left high school, took one of these college courses, and you're ready to go work on a race car, and these people won't hire you. But yet, I, I do, and other ones do, because you get your price down. You know, first of all, them guys are looking for $1,200 a week right out of college. Hell, I've been working this for a long time to to get to where you can kind of make that. Right, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, so you know when they get their prices back down about five hundred dollars a week to start out and learn, I'm all good with it, and I'll give them a chance, and hopefully some of their mistakes don't cause us to have problems on the racetrack, and we have experienced people that do make good money that that try to guide them and look after them, but then once I get them trained and they know what's going on, then I have to fight the big teams because as soon as they see I've got a, a good kid working here and doing well. Hell, they come over there and offer them five, six hundred dollars more a week than I can pay them. Uh, plane flights and benefits. So, I mean, I'm proud of them for moving on and doing better for themselves. But at the same time, we are the training grounds for the cup teams. But yet, the the RTA and the people that, that look after that decided that they needed to take one percent of the total purse. That's what the open teams get, and they needed to take that money and give it back to themselves and cost me about $20,000 a race. But yet, uh, B.J. McLeod's group have been over here trying to hire my people up. Roush has been over here hiring them up. Hey, man, it's, it's tough. I mean, I spend almost $2,000 a person to have license on them that they own the license. I buy it. And now I've got eight people that's, that I bought license for this year that are working for other teams. And so i got to find... Wow. The eight people to replace them and the two thousand dollars a pop to buy them a license. Carl, it, it, it's a great question here. What keeps you motivated to continue doing this? Obviously, the charter yeah. system has been a complete flop in the cup, and I think every fan understands that. The the and I, and I use this word loosely. The backmarker teams have always been the the I would say 
the the black sheep of the family, the underdog. I've been a, always a big fan. I'm, I've been a, a fan of Front Row Motorsports since their inception. I've always been a fan of you, uh, JD McDuffie, another longtime fan. I was I was I, I like drivers like Tony Raines and um, uh, uh, the other drivers that have come come along and you know weren't the uh, weren't the the, the, the trendsetters. Carl, what keeps you motivated? Obviously, the the RCA guys they don't want the the, uh, the 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 teams like yours there. What keeps you in the groove to to want to prove these guys otherwise? I, I guess the thought is it's a couple of things. the The thought is is I know that once we can put the right financial package together and I can get hooked up with the right people. I can I can make dividends happen just like we had a, a a leased engine and we put all our stuff together to go to Daytona and Timmy Hill finished third in the Xfinity race. You know, this year we didn't quite have that that luck. We got involved in a crash, but we had a fast car. Uh, this weekend, uh, we were once again uh, just biding our time, and Timmy had a good opportunity, and and so did David Starr. And the rain came out, and we finished thirteenth and seventeenth. And um, so there's races that you know you can go to and do well. Um, and my thing is, as is, is hard as it is to finally acquire a sponsor that can be behind you, is twice as tough to keep them. Um, before I went to Bristol and we announced the Auto Parts for Less group coming on, I have got Mike Marlar driving our car, one of the best dirt racers right. there is in the whole country. Right. Um, I had one of my fellow competitors, marketing person, call them up to tell them what a better job they would do, and they needed to spend money with them, not with us. We had never even got to the racetrack. And they're calling sure. them up as soon as I announce it. These are the now that happens that I'm supposed the local to. racetrack. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's we fight that all the way around. It's a tough battle, but, you know, I have people, uh, that's why actually it's it's better, and people wonder, oh, some little rich kid's driving the car, or somebody's doing this. I don't care whether it's a little rich kid or something, but if I've got somebody that has a solid sponsor behind them, whether it's daddy's money or their best buddy's company or whatever it is, where I don't have to worry about getting constantly stabbed in the back for trying to promote them and get them going, I'm all about bringing them on, and and we're very fortunate that the Auto Parts for Less group and the, the CEO of it, uh, he really likes Timmy Hill, but my catalyst for getting him here was Matt Jaskell. Matt is uh, a very talented driver that kind of missed an opportunity, and he's still 35 years old, and, you know, and uh, it's a great opportunity in front of him. We hope to grow together as long and growing along with the uh, – you know, the lift kits and the four less people, they are a uh, a good group of people, and they see right through the smoke screen. I mean, that's why I know who was calling them, because a man tells me every week, you that's know, good. who's calling them. And, right. and it's just sad that, that I've got these people that are my buddies or so want to be my buddies when they need something, but yet they're after my sponsors, they're after my employees, and you just have right. to be tough and... Um, you're being used as a farm system, basically. We've seen this with Ross Chastain, Taz, uh, Taz Moore, uh, Taz Taylor, and Craig Moore. If you'll remember, uh, Craig, uh, uh, last year I believe it was, or maybe it was two years ago, 
Ross Chastain said, hey, uh, what's funny about all this is NASCAR contacted uh, the Watermelon Association of Georgia to see if they wanted to sponsor an event. Uh, and that was just, you know, enough money to be thrown on the race car for Ross Chastain at the time. And, and so it's something that we hear continuously, and it's, it's you know, obviously an irritant, but more of, uh, uh, you know, a disrespect to somebody who goes out like Mr. Carl Long and, and searches for this type of funding and searches for these types of talent, and then they're pulled right away from them. It's, uh, and and, and you, you think, okay, I put these guys in a contract. But the bigger teams have ways of buying out those contracts, don't they, Carl? So they would, and 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 since I lost so many people in the last month, uh, everyone here that's working for me now has a contract, um, and and I don't mind being bought out. I I I actually enjoy giving somebody an opportunity to move up, and if they get hired by Hendrick or Roush or something, I'm proud of them. And but the problem that I have is there's no reimbursement for me to start all over again. You know, there's I'm like I said, two thousand dollars a pop on the license, and my last my truck driver over here, he he come in and snuck in one day on a Monday, cleaned his stuff out of the truck, come in here and hey, I need my check, man. I'll I'll be in tomorrow. Okay. Then he sends me a text later on the night. Screw you, man. I've got another job. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> That's that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? Taz, Taylor, we're going to bring on Taz. Taylor, I'm sure he's got a few questions for you, but go ahead, Carl. It's just that's the part of running a business where people don't realize this sport is a business, and it's about what money you can generate to to pay. I've got people that's been with me for years and years, and they haven't got hung out on their pay. Uh, You know, all my vendors are paid, and that's what – that I try to do because I've been that guy that drove for some people that put race cars together for them. And then they never paid me, you know, and that's pretty tough. You take three or four weeks out of your time to build them a race car and go to the track, you get it in a race. And um, then they decide, Hey, well, we'll get you next week. And then next week never gets here. So I try to make sure that all my guys, they might not like the dollar amount they get paid for, but if we agree to it, they get paid. And that's right. Um, and that's just I don't know. That's that's the frustration part of this side and like I said, you know, Rick Rick Ware and B J McLeod and the other guys that kinda of run back there where we do, he they have the luxury of a charter deal. They get close to sixty thousand dollars a race to start the race and I get about fifteen. So uh, I'm not real pleased with you know, and, and and like I said, last year I, I got thirty five versus their sixty. And and I made it work at a lot of races. And uh right. and, and so it's just a sore spot that the the ones that had it all decided that one percent of the total purse which was allotted for the non chartered cars, they needed to have it themselves. And right. uh and it don't make a lot of difference on the top end and, and like I said, you figure the total purse that they're bringing in uh, the difference, $20,000 a race is about $750,000 a year. So their their thought process is, well, if you don't have $750,000 a year um, 
and sponsorship money, you don't need to be here anyway. You know, you you need about a ten million dollar sponsor, and that's but I not can, true. I can see this twenty thousand dollars just adding up in the transportation, the hotel, lodging, and your tires. That's basically yeah. what the twenty thousand dollars pays for, right? Correct. There was there's a little known story that people don't realize, and I'm very proud to tell it, but. I never went to New Hampshire Speedway when Bob Bear owned it and missed the race that he didn't give you a check to go back home for tow money or coming up there. He didn't let, as far as I know, he never let any division come to New Hampshire Speedway and anybody, whether it was in a modified class, the Bush class, or whatever, if you come up there and tried to make the race, he made sure you had a check to go back home for trying to put on his show. And... Uh, and I went because of that every year and tried and uh, and got pretty good at it. I was sitting 23rd in the field with six cars left to qualify, and it started raining, and I had to go home. I got kicked out of the field sitting there 23rd. The worst I would have been would have been 29th, and I think that was about 2005. And I, I, you know what? It didn't hurt because he, he wrote us a check, and I went home. Now, that's Car- hi, Carl. Um, the one question I have for you is that being a smaller team that you are, uh, how many car do you guys have cars set up for certain tracks, or do you kind of have a car that kind of you adjust to? Um, maybe just focus on intermediate and short tracks, and then just have maybe a separate car for just super speedways. Like, do you have a car for each kind of typical race or do you have uh like say like two cars and you have to adjust that one car for certain races that you focus on and the other car you have to focus on the other races for well when i first started um when we put this deal together in 2014 with john jackson and Derek white i had a speedway car uh one of them had a downforce car one of them had a road course car and we kind of put that together and then and we changed. I ran my Speedway car at some uh, – I ran it at Bristol. Um, but as as we kept going and putting money and stuff in it and, uh, you know, and picking up sponsors and drivers here and there, uh, finding cars at a deal, we've, we've got an assortment now of uh, more cars uh, for every kind of track. And as a business owner – uh, what I looked at back then is if I can wind up with twenty five to thirty five thousand dollars invested in a car that's complete and it's a speedway car, I don't have to have as many people working on this stuff because it only races four times a year. So you don't make your guys work till midnight to change a car around. In the past, when you first started, you ran your short track car. You come in and you changed your rear end housings, your suspension, whatever else you could do to try to go run it at an intermediate. And you work all night because you didn't have a few people anyway who's running one car. Now, as a business, uh, I have 19 complete um Xfinity cars, and I think we have seven complete cup cars, and uh, those have all of the parts on it. So while we're racing, I got a couple of guys back at the shop that are getting ready. I mean, we're working on our finishing up our Coda stuff now, um, and it's just a 
a combination of growing. Now, there's a good chance that the next year the cup cars that we have will be obsolete uh, with the right. new car coming in. And they're, they're still haven't decided if they're going to adopt a lot of the cup rules into Xfinity so that the cup cars can put the composite bodies on them and, and be better. But if that happens, then my current Xfinity cars probably won't be as competitive because the new cars have a lot more new tricks to them that they are allowing in cup, like low, uh, no ride height rules and things like that. Who knows what they will decide on. But, but if they leave all of the rules in Xfinity exactly like they are, then all of the cup cars that I currently have aren't worth a, anything but, you know, a yard ornament or something. So, um, Wow. Yeah. Carl, Craig, I think this is going to lead into your question, right? Yeah, it is. Carl Craigmore, thanks. Hey, thanks for joining us first and foremost. I appreciate it. Um, what, how is the development of next, the next gen car going for you as far as what do you think that's going to do for your race team as a whole? Uh, cost me about 350,000 to build one. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the projected costs of building a new car is somewhere around 350. All of the big cup teams and stuff now, that's about what they've got somewhere around 300 is what they've got invested in their current cars. So it's no big deal for them. But like I said, I bought my cars anywhere from 25 to 50 grand a piece, just depending on where it was at. And it, you know, it took me a couple of years to get all the loans paid back from buying them at that and, uh, and using them. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, we have the backing to go build a car, but I can't go build a new cup car and go race for $15,000 when I can run in the Xfinity side for $25,000. Right. Yeah, it's not cost effective. Now, if if I can do what the RTA wants and the rest of them and, and sign up a $150,000 race sponsor, I'll be more than happy to go carry this thing out somewhere. But it's... It's all about cash flow, whether it comes from a sponsor or comes from a sanctioning body. I just feel like it's very unfair that anybody that shows up to the racetrack goes home with a $60,000 check, and I go home with a $15,000 check. Yeah, that's and, that's, that's – uh, let me ask you, because we were – I don't know if you were listening before you jumped on the call. Um, Bubba uh, Wallace <laughs> – snubbed Jeff Gordon during the uh, pit walk as I want to ask, this is a twofold question and and Chris is laughing on our zoom, but if one of your drivers did that, I would hate to see what the repercussions would be. Right. Right. Because we both agree that there are back marker teams that would, that would just die for that type of exposure. And he was just, you know, flung that off as if it was anything. So I, I can understand this question here. So I'm in a I'm in a unique position um, where I've driven these race cars, and I, I did drive again at uh, Martinsville last year. Um, uh, and you know, and I have kept them up. And but as you get older, and the business side takes care of it, and I'm probably not the most athletic person that like I used to be. Um, 
I probably need to make a few more trips around the salad bar instead of the buffet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those things that I'll be honest with you. I love to drive. I'm approved to drive anywhere. And if I had a driver that, that didn't want to embrace our sponsors and the people that got there, I'd just have to tell him, go get his ass out of the car. I'm getting my seat. <laughs> you know, as long as I can fit in, I'll put my insert in it, and and he can go watch from somewhere else. You know, that's that's one of the things. The bad thing is, is if the driver is the one that's bringing the money, then you're you're pretty much sitting there going, oh, okay. I mean, and that's why I don't put myself in a crew chief position anymore because there's three things wrong with a race car. It's the driver, it's the crew chief, and it's the motor. That's it. That is the three things that are wrong with a race car. So if I'm the crew chief and the driver's bringing the motor or bringing the engine uh, with sponsorship, I don't need to be the crew chief. Because he don't run fast, he wants to bitch to the crew chief. Well, right. if I have a crew chief in that position, I can go over and be the mediator. Yeah, my crew chief didn't set the right air pressure on you this time. He got some bad information. He's a good guy. It'll be fine in the next race. But if I'm that guy, I get over there and tell him, whether well, you'd have bashed the pedal on the right, maybe you'd have got around the corner a little quicker. You know? And <laughs> so you just have to put yourself in a political position not to be um, – uh, stirred up between you and whoever's paying the bills. Um, right. Now, if I was Roger Penske or somebody like that with a, plenty of money, I could have the attitude I wanted to because I'm the guy paying the bills. So, right, right, and, and it seems to be that Bubble Wallace comes with a lot of his sponsorship uh, that we've seen over at the uh, Richard Petty Motorsports last year. He was able to bring that, so he is kind of bringing the money. But uh, I think that uh, if uh, with MJ, Michael Jordan, he never – I think one thing we've all agreed on was he never missed an opportunity uh, in front of the microphone. And I think it left a lot of us, uh, you know, maybe displeased with how that, that come about. But let's get back to you. And I believe uh, we have Taz Taylor on again who wants to ask you a question about your earlier career. Yeah. Uh, so I did a – one thing I did not know about this, and I don't know how I just found this out, so, you used to run Orange County and South Boston, I would assume more like weekly local racing, is that correct? That's correct. Now, is that kind of like what today's NASCAR weekly advanced auto parts series is kind of like, where you kind of race your Friday, Saturday night local tracks and go for a national title, or is that something completely different? No, it's actually the same thing. It just grew to that point. When I raced, uh, I think Barry Bagerly, when he was from my home track, and he won the national title. I mean, I competed against uh, Elliot and Hermie Sadler, uh, Dennis Setzer. These are guys that moved on that you know of their names. Um, Dave Mater, who just had a good run, he come to South Boston he and, did. and ran a couple races with us. So, um, But, yeah, I, like I said, to – a, a little-known story that people don't realize is my dad was a Volkswagen mechanic, and he raced in the Baby Grand Series, which was the fourth cylinder cars that used to race on Saturday before the Grand National or Cup cars did on Sunday, back in the 74, 75 area and on up in that area. And uh, they outlawed the Volkswagen Beetle in 75 because of the um, 
the air-cooled engine with the tailpipe stuck out in the back. When the Pintos and Vegas got behind them, they'd overheat. They couldn't follow them on the big tracks at Charlotte and Rockingham, that kind of stuff. So in 1983, um, South Boston uh, and Orange County reopened. South Boston was still there. And we started the mini-stock class out there. And I raced against my dad and his two brothers. And my dad had a Mercury Capri. He had raced in the Dash Series. And and we all had Volkswagens. And uh, the following year, um, the car that I had, I had built a new car over the winter or worked on one. And the car that I had started driving, Ward Burton started driving it. And uh, that was Ward's first start. And um, so, uh, and Ward was older than me, and Jeff is the same age I am. But, um so we, we ran in the mini stock class, and eventually I moved up to street stock and then into late model stock and on into all pro and ARCA and trucks, and uh, and all of it was never with any money. I didn't have any real money. My dad was a mechanic. It was always about what kind of deals that I had to put together to get people who had a reason to sponsor us and a reason to be on the car to, to join us. And... Um, so it, it took me six years to get out of a Volkswagen Beetle. I had to manage a Domino's Pizza and win manager of the year in order to get them to sponsor me to move up. up. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just getting ready to bring that up. I was just getting ready to bring that up. That there's another little known fact about you, and that you were a manager for Domino's Pizza. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I found out something about you as well that I didn't know, and this goes back into your earlier career as well. I've always been, since the inception, a front-row racing fan. I don't know if you left there on good terms, but obviously you were there and around at the beginning kind of stages of front-row motorsports. Are they yes. the markets now that, that people judge themselves on, being that they've gotten, I think, three cup wins now? Um, is that is that how – the way that Bob Jenkins has structured his racing piece? Is that kind of the game plan? Is that what's now set in motion for some of these smaller market teams? Well, Bob was always able to get a lot with a little. And and a lot of that come from people like myself working for him and and others who were able to find ways to to do things. And I I drove for Bob um, early – early 2000s, and um, then I went back and um, became a crew chief. When I went back, I became Eric McClure's crew chief on the Xfinity side. And um, and I still maintain my own cup car. And uh, when I got um, got the big fine for the big motor and throw it out of NASCAR, I was working for Bob. And it became a distraction. John Andretti was our driver, and I worked in the shop, and I helped put a lot of things together. I helped move Bob's shop over into Travis Carter Enterprises, and um, I actually put him and Jerry Freeze together and kind of gave each one of them a background um, because I had worked and did some stuff with Petty's on a uh, testing deal and met Jerry there and kind of gave Jerry the the footprint for what he needed to tell Bob and told Bob what he needed to know about Jerry, and, and they got together and, then after I had all of that stuff coming and all the media kept coming up there to talk to me instead of on John Andretti, then Jerry fired me. So I, I got him hired and he fired me. So that's just how it goes. <laughs> well, Listen, you're hired and then he fires you. That's, you hire him, then he fires you. That's got to be yeah, classic. 
and he's got we've got to get called you know the, the um, so far the biggest thing that's uh, that's happened in his career i guess in nascar is the two hundred thousand dollar fine because at that time it was unprecedented that was the largest fine ever handed down by nascar only did michael walter succeed that fine with a three hundred thousand dollar fine carl what did you in that moment of that phone call first of all it's like when Elvis died. It's like when 9-11 happened. You know where you were the moment that you found out the fine. What was that like? What happened? Did you believe it? Did you drop the phone? Did you scream? Please give us that moment. Oh, well, I was working at Front Row, and um, I think that we were um, – we were doing something with a car, and I had to go outside because phone signal didn't work good inside. And uh, went outside, and it was John Darby that called me, and he said, well, we've evaluated what we're doing, Carl, and and this is what we're handing down, and um, you're going to get suspended, and it's going to be a $200,000 fine, and you can pay for it like this and that and the other. And I'm like, well, what do I got to do to appeal it? You know, because this is just wrong. So he told me what I needed to do for the appeal process, and I actually thought there was nobody in their right mind going to um, going to make this stick the way it did. And, okay, they're getting national media stuff, and the one thing that I didn't know is that when we were at the racetrack that weekend, um, the weekend that my engine uh, uh, messed up and – uh, during that race, they were flying a banner around the racetrack that said, Free Jeremy. So Jeremy Mayfield was all into his stuff at the same time. Ah, and right, somebody was, was right around the, yeah. Yeah, somebody was flying this banner around and said, Free Jeremy. Well, I spoke to Jeremy several years later, and he, he blames himself on me getting the, the, uh, the, the Mack truck running over me. And I'm like, how is that? He said, well, you've got a guy on your car that sponsors you and helps you out a little bit. I'm like, yeah. And you had his hard card. You let him buy a hard card under your team, didn't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, when NASCAR went to figure out who was flying this banner around the racetrack and had several people, one of them was this guy who's on your car. And then all of a sudden, you had a fat motor the next day. So they already was just off at you. And, wow. and I was like, well, I I did not know that, and and that was several years later, and uh, and I called a guy up because he stopped sponsoring and 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 he moved on in his other businesses, and I called him up. And I'm like, were you a part of that? Oh yeah, me and four or five my buddies, we went over there. We freed Jeremy. We flew the flag. We flew the banner. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn, he's proud of it. You know, I'm like, well, oh uh, yeah. Now, now I know why that they drove that totem pole up my butt. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're and, Carl. You're saying that you may not race this weekend in Kansas. So, is your next big push then, um, uh, Darlington? Yes. Yeah. We we will be at all of the Xfinity races uh, unless something goes wrong. But we will we will be there. But. Um, you know, I'm I'm still trying to secure sponsorship for Darlington in Cup for Timmy, and I just I, I just don't have enough. I mean, I have to get at least I have to generate at least thirty five thousand dollars to give somebody the whole car. If I can get 
20 for one part of it for the hood and 15 for the rest and and what but if I don't get $35,000 outside money I can't go there and pay the bills so I'll just leave it at home and um and, and go run the Xfinity cars where they still have a decent paycheck and we still have some sponsorship on each one of them all right now I, I was just I was doing some research Chris you got anything no, no, I want to hear about this wreck in 04. All right. So tell us about tell us about the wreck in 04 at Darlington. Um, what happened? I mean, that had to be terrifying rolling like that, flipping like that. Tell us about that. The, the flipping wasn't the bad part. And if you don't have uh, – if any of your viewers or listeners or whatever doesn't realize it, you just need to go to YouTube and Google – the uh, call along 2004 at Rockingham to to see exactly what it is, but basically we were we were running and I was on older tires. I haven't come, I didn't come in on my pit stop yet. Uh, Joe Nemechek and Brendan gone or uh, entered turn one behind me, racing for a spot. So I stayed low on turn two to give them room because they were side by side, and and I guess Brendan caught Joe Nemechek in the left rear tire, and Joe was on the outside as they exited two, and that spun him down towards the infield. Well, I happened to be at the bottom of the track giving them room to go by. So Joe come down and hit me in the right rear, and that turned me over into the straight up into the back straightaway wall. And Rockingham's back wall is not 90 degrees to the racetrack. It's straight up and down uh parallel to the earth so you got 15 degrees of banking or 10 degrees of banking on the back stretch and a wall that kind of goes up at an angle i mean it goes straight up but what it did is it allowed my right front tire just to climb right up the wall and flip me over and i was on my driver's door sliding down the back straightaway and it, those were the small cars before the cot with the small roofs on them so my head and my headrest was about six inches off the asphalt, and I could see the asphalt as my uh, driver's door bar, the vent window, was throwing sparks and hitting me in the visor. And then my head was about six to eight inches off the asphalt, but we did have the full containment seat, so that was holding it. And all I could smell was the fuel that was dumping out of the carburetor. And I knew that but I had gas and I had fire. And there's a whole lot of recipe for a barbecue, and I knew what the meat was. And so <laughs> when when it started to to move and roll and tumble, I was relieved that it was tumbling because at least my head was no longer on the fault or right there at it, and hopefully this thing would stop sooner or later. And uh, And so when it stopped, I was about upside down, uh, kind of on my side, and um, and I thought that the car was going to stay there, but all of the weight is pretty much on the left side of the car. And though it was in the air on the side and kind of stalled, I grabbed the steering wheel and pulled it loose with the quick release and was uh, going to see if I could get out of this thing pretty quick. And then it fell back on its wheels. Well, I had the steering wheel off in my hand then and uh, jammed it down into my legs. Uh, that probably did more damage than the rest of the wreck, but... Uh, <laughs> It uh, 
And then I seen Bobby Labotti sliding at me sideways, and I was like, "Well, this ain't gonna be good." But he stopped before he got me, got to me, and uh, then when I went to get out, the halo bar on the roof roll cage was squished down, and so it took me a couple of tries, but I finally squished out of it. I don't think I could get out of that hole right now, but I could get out then. I was a few pounds lighter, so um, that was that was kind of the incident and the wreck, and. Um, and I was just excited to be able to get out of that car. Uh, All right. I wasn't really worried about it. It was wrecked or how it happened. And um, so I went to the infield care center, and they all checked me out. And it was all good. I think this lady's name was Janie, Jenny Velasco or something like that, was working for the uh, TV. And she asked me the same question you did. Carl, can you tell us when you was in trouble? I said, yep. When you're on the back straightaway and all you can see is two guys, two big guys in the top of the grandstand eating chicken, you know this is a bad day. <laughs> that <laughs> that kind of went viral for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, so we got to close out this, but Carl, we've got two. We've got two things that we want to touch on before we get to your social media and platforms that you use to help uh, get the word out about your racing. First of all, we we would like to get and schedule a time for Timmy Hill uh, to come on. We'll reach out to him, uh, but if you can help make that happen, that would be uh, absolutely awesome. Our second and, and well, and the final question here tonight: the car number forty six. Of course, it's it's an iconic number. Uh, I believe uh, even Brewster Baker ran the number forty six. Uh, what uh, what is that a personal favorite number tell us a little bit about how the 40 because you've carried this number for many many years yeah which we don't race the 46 right now um uh but i had the 46 number and that that started because um basically i had a a fellow that helped me race in some then he was a partner with me uh named rick glenn uh rick has a company called glenn underwater and i was doing testing for the petties and i drove for the dixon which is one of the few minority owners. Everybody says Michael Jordan's the next guy since Wendell Scott, but it's not true. Uh, C. Dixon was, was doing it with me and Mike Skinner. And um, anyway, as I was testing with the petties and doing stuff, Adam was car number 45, so Rick said, let's just be 46. It's available. And uh, he bought the owner's license, and that's where we come up with car number 46. And it was basically because... Kyle Petty had reached out to help me, and Adam was still living at that point, and um, and it just like okay, we're gonna be your long lost other adopted relative, you know, <laughs> and uh, and that's why we come up with that number, and uh, as I moved on and uh, and went back into racing, the the sixty six is now our number, and that's based on uh, helping Mark Thompson and um, and what he brought with him and. And we just left it there. Then the 49 is a Brewster Baker number. We did run out of oh, them last year. That's right. Yeah, it was uh, Cole Trickle was the 46, I believe. Cole Trickle was the 46. The 49 was a Brewster Break- Baker. We did the 49 number because I had a marketing group last winter that said that they were going to tie us in with the San Francisco 49ers and was going to have all the money we could spend in racing. Well, you see how that went. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But you were able to race the throwback, though, right? You still you still race the throwback car, right? Well, I do the throwback stuff, but I use I use my current numbers. I don't change the number. 
Um, okay. Right now, my, my numbers are 66, 13, and uh, a partnership with the 61 in Xfinity, and then I have 13 and 66 in Cup. You just you just got the thirteen number because that was the uh, the Geico car up until that was correct. Year. They, yeah, I changed it the forty nine car over to the thirteen, and that's what we ran okay. Daytona with. I knew that there was a car that, that there was the Brewster Baker number. I'm very sorry about getting those two confused between the forty six and the forty nine. That's exactly right. So I was on the right worry, path. I'm, I'm sorry, you I'm you right. <laughs> yeah, you got me right, Carl. And, you know, normally, normally after 25 minutes uh, of, of interview, most of the time we lose the guys, and uh, it's been great to carry you on. Uh, I, I, we've had you for about 45 minutes now, and it's just been absolutely uh, entertaining. Um, Carl, we would love to have you on again. As I said before, we'd like to reach out to Timmy Hill, get him on the show before the Darlington race, because we want to help push you to get that $35,000. I don't know what help we can do, but if we can join the fight, and that's what it's all about. Carl, tell us about the platforms that you use and how you go about with your social media and uh, where we can find you at. Well, the, the Carl Long Motorsports um, on Facebook, that is something that uh, I pretty much do myself. And uh, then we have MBM Motorsports also on Facebook. I have three other administrators that help me with it. Um, and then um, – those same administrators, we have uh, uh, callongmotorsports.com. We have mbmmotorsports.com. Uh, we do Twitter. So if it's a way of getting out there, we do it. But me, personally, I'm on the MBM Motorsports one and the Call Long Motorsports. And a lot of times you'll see that I just – I will share one post to the other one. Um, but uh, anybody responding to anybody on – both of those, most of those platforms, uh, is usually me, um, and and I try to stay in touch with the fans. I did get on the Instagram one time, and man, I I broke in on some kids and stuff like that, and, and made their day. I mean, they were like, "You're Carl, you're on this." I was like, "Yeah, you talking crap? Come here, you gonna be on my page? You damn need to be supporting me, not talking junk." And oh, we're sorry, sir. We're gonna do better. <laughs> well, but, it, so a twenty-nine finish by Timmy Hill. That that was really you, you can't be disappointed in that, right? I mean, that was a that was a solid finish there for for your group. Where is that at? Uh, Talladega this week? Yes, sir. At Talladega. In in the Cup car, you you'll think I'm lying, but I'm not. I was disappointed. Um, our car. When we went there last year, and we had the uh, the Trump uh, sponsorship on it, we finished 15th, and it was really competitive. And we carried it to Daytona this year, and for some reason the car just would not get back up to speed on green flag restarts. And um, and it wasn't so much on the restart on the track. We could keep up in the draft. But when we had to come in and make a green flag stop, Timmy said when it went from third to fourth, it just stalled out. It just wouldn't go. They, the guys he was racing with, and trying to stay in a draft would pull away. And it did the same thing this week. And um, we changed the rear end housing in it between last year and this year to get more camber in it. And um, uh, this morning, this afternoon, when we was looking at it, it appears that one of our axles, our right rear axle, was dragging the inner hub. And that's why we were robbing horsepower. And that's – otherwise, Timmy's a great plate racer and – 
I had no thoughts that we would get lapped because we couldn't, you know, keep up on uh, where we were. And that's just, that's just one of those things. And, um, you know, we'll look at it, we'll address it, and we'll try to be better before the next race, which should be Daytona with that car. All right. Well, Mr. Carlon, thank you so much for being a part of our show. We're, we're, uh, we're, we, we have a lot in common. We are a small budget radio program. We've had, uh, we've had some big stars anywhere from Alan Bestwick. Uh, we've had, uh, Jimmy Owens on the show. We've had, uh, me and Craig have interviewed even on our own separate shows, a lot of talent, but, uh, you are, sir, at one of the top of the list here. And, uh, our, our production manager, Ms. Lee Reed, uh, was listening in, and she said that she absolutely loved the interview. So uh, I think we're headed in the right direction, and we'd love to have you back on. All right, bud. Well, I'm going to get me a cheeseburger and a Coke. Y'all have a good day. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Bye-bye. All right. What so we interview. probably held him a little bit longer from, from, his, uh, from his cheeseburger there. But uh, I'll tell you what, it was a great interview. Uh, we'll give him uh, – probably more airtime than what Sirius XM would, and uh, we appreciate him taking his time and spending it with us here on this uh, Monday night. I, of course, as tired as I am uh, from uh, from the trip, I can only imagine these guys do it week in, week out, so Monday's got to be a, a, a day uh, to get their bearings back together. Um, so we've got uh, a, a moment to take for our commercial break, and we'll regroup and uh, be back on here in just a few minutes. Yeah, buddy. Hold on. Are you ready? Your wedding day. A day that you've envisioned in your mind since you were a child. And now that it's becoming a reality, don't risk your once-in-a-lifetime event to a once-in-a-while amateur you found on Craigslist. The entertainment you choose for your special day can either make or break your celebration. You can never redo your wedding. But you can avoid a costly mistake by hiring a true professional. We make every wedding unforgettable. When what you need is more than music, what you want is more to music. That's M-O-O-R-E to M-U-S-I-C. More to music. Find more to music on Facebook. M-O-O-R-E to M-U-S-I-C. Also, moretomusic.com. More to music. More to music specializes in weddings, anniversaries, parties of all kinds, including the one in your backyard where you want some karaoke for all your friends. More to music. Owner operator Craig Moore can be found on Facebook right now. More to music. M O O R E, the number two, M U S I C. More to music. More to music. By the way, it's never too early to plan your event. Plus, check out moretomusic.com. Find out how you could win $500 in Karaoke Idol. Moretomusic.com. More to music. All of Craig Moore's services offered are available on his webpage, moretomusic.com. M-O-O-R-E, the number two, M-U-S-I-C.com. Moretomusic.com. When what you want is more than music, what you need is more to music. Moretomusic.com. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back for more Race Chat Live Action. We're going to do a quick local 
update from this past weekend before we get into our Kansas picks and preview and whatever we got to do for the weekend coming ahead. First, I want to talk, start off down south towards Chris's neck of the woods, kind of. The Short Track Super Series Cajun Region has race number two this past weekend, and it was redemption for the 9R Tommy Rasco after leading every lap but the final one in the first event at Chatham. They went to Thunder Valley Speedway, and Tommy Rasco led every single lap of the main event feature to take home the $1,000 paycheck. He picks up the win in race number two. Caleb Dillard, second. Greg Dillard, third. Keith Badiali, fourth. And Thomas Holt rounded out the top five. APE Racing Engines bonus went to Tommy Rasco of $75. Dave Motorsport American Racer bonus. Free tire certificate went to Cody Robbins, who finished in 10th. DeZoto Iron Metal 7th place bonus of $50 went to Mike Croppengold. The Hard Charger, sponsored by Shed Road Towing and Recovery, went to Thomas Holt, who started in 10th and finished 5th. Now we'll move up to the Northeast up here in New York. The Track of Champions Fonda Speedway had the Montgomery County Open, $12,000 in memory of Jumpin' Jack Johnson, going to the winner, plus a guaranteed starting spot for September's Fonda 200 main event and leading lap, leading every single lap of that main event was the 2019 Fonda Speedway track champion for the Sonoka Modified, the Flying Squirrel, Rocky Warner. He picked up the win over RJ, Ronnie Johnson in second, Craig Hansen third, Matty D, Matt DiLorenzo in fourth, and Anthony Perego, the top five. The heat race winners for the Sonoka Modifieds were Kale Ross, Michael Maresca, Rocky Warner, and Danny Tyler. And they all won $112 uh, thanks to finish line landscaping. Then we head on over to the Swagger Factory Apparel Crate 602 Sportsman. Chad Edwards goes two for two in the division. Cody Clark second. Timmy Hartman Jr. third. Tony Ferrone fourth. And Peyton Talbot rounds out the top five. Hartman, Mark Mortensen, Cody Clark, and Brian Boris picked up heat race wins for that division. In the Algonquin Motel Pro Stock feature, it was Devin Camagay picking up the win over Nick Stone, finishing in second once again for another week. Kenny Gates in third. Chucky D, Chuck Dombluski in fourth. And Bo Ballard, last week's feature winner, finished rounds out the top five. Stone and Gates were heat race winners over there. Then in the limited sportsman feature, it was Carter Gibbons picking up the win. Jeremy Terrell in second, Taylor LaPlante third, Clayton Dumont fourth, and Mike Formont rounds out the top five. Johnny Young and Clayton Dumont picked up the heat race wins for that division. In the Fonda Fair four-cylinder cruiser division, Slappy White picked up the dual overhead cam win, while Wayne Russell Jr. picked up the single overhead cam win. And, Craig, I know you're going to ask this question, where did the Hollenbecks go? Well, let's just see. Ken Hollenbeck was running up front with – Last week's dual overhead cam winner, Tyler White, and they both got in contact in turn two, and in the wall they went. So that was their night. Well, apparently Jeremy Jeremy Terrell would have – he was, was, uh, from what I understand, he was running quite well in the rookie sportsman class, and he finished second. But he had some issues with a few drivers on the track. Uh, One – 
from what I understand, had said that they were going to take him out. Whether that actually happened or not, I'm not 100% sure, but um, it should be interesting to uh, see what happens this week. I do know they had a power steering issue, so I don't know what else can be, uh, you know, deducted from that, but you know, they're a good team. They'll come back, finish strong this weekend, I'm sure. It's kind of be ironic this week they finished second, last week they finished third. Heck they or next this week they finished second. It'd be kind of funny if next week they finished third and then went back up to the top of the track. But from what I understand they had lots of speed. Yeah, they sure did. That's a good fact right there. Also finish off Fonda was last week's uh guest for matter of fact they kicked off their season Saturday was the Mohawk Valley Vintage Dirt Dirt Modified Series Frankie Blanchard picked up the win in the Vintage Antique feature after going green to checker lap by lap battle with Chuck Schofield one lap it was Chuck Schofield leading next lap it was Frank Blanchard it was basically those two walking away in that one and they those two put on the show for that feature. But Frankie Blanchard edges out Chuck Schofield. And then in the Vintage Dirt Modified feature for the Sportsman class, it was John Colezzo picking up the win. Daryl Holbert won the Dirt Modified side division. And Curtis Condon picked up the Late Model feature. Coming up this Saturday before I head into a small little teaser for what we could be talking about next week in terms of locally. Bethel Motor Speedway opened their point season for the 2021 season, and I will be there in person to witness this. As they will have gates open at 2.30, hot laps at 4.30, racing starts at 6. And they will have all of their divisions, including the NASCAR weekly racing series of the street stocks, asphalt modified, and the sport modified, while they have their dirt modified on tap. And then they also have, oh, there we go. Now I can pull it up better. May 1st, Racing at 6, NASCAR Asphalt Modified, Street Stocks and Sport Mods. Then you have the Dirt Modified, Inex Legends, Pro Stocks, Four Cylinder Pure Stocks, Novice, and Bandoleros. Adults are $14 to get in the grandstand. Seniors, students, $8. Pits are $40. And again, points begin for all classes. I cannot wait to see all the racing action down there at Bethel Motor Speedway. And then, of course, we have a small teaser to go through, and that is the Mower Tire Group with the Predators and modified, Lawnmower Modifieds we have, and we'll get more detail into that with our guest next week. That is Luke Rakoski. And we'll, in less than three weeks' time, we'll have our opening night on May 15th over at Dodge City Speedway. Uh, then we have the schedule release of our first, well, the little mini series we have called the Fast Forward Series. 
it's a little four race mini series we have, and then we'll have some special shows where we have the modifieds doing twin features, and we have the predators doing twin features at one point. And we keep going every other Saturday until October 4th, which is championship night. And we are trying to look into a possible special race at the end of the season. But I don't want to get too much into detail of that because that's where our guests will kind of come in next week. And we'll talk more about not only his race team, but also what we have planned for 2021 in terms of the group with the Predators and the Mower Modifieds. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, we were off this past weekend. Of course, I spent my weekend at Talladega, uh, right next to the short track. And once again, I failed to make it over there to the short track. I heard Tony Stewart was there. Uh, the USCS sprint cars were there. Uh, we are off again this weekend. Uh, we are not racing. Uh, so it'll be two more weeks uh, before we are back at the House of Hook, uh, not Motorsports Park. But go out and support your local tracks, guys. Right now, we've had low car counts and a lot of at a lot of racetracks. Um, I, I do. I am concerned that there's too many uh, big races on top of each other. No race has as actual. Um, there's there's not no nostalgia being built up. There's no uh, there's no big race. It's like every weekend at the five thousand dollar to win factory stock, the street stock race somewhere. Um, so it's you know it's it's a competition right now. And I've got, I've harped as many times as I can that you should support your track, even even if you don't like the owner. I mean, the fact of it is, is you should support your track. You should support your local fans. Uh, that's the one way that that we know we're lacking in motorsports right now: the communication between the fan and the teams and the drivers. And if we could. If we could get local drivers back at their, if we could get drivers back at their local tracks, weekly racing, racing would flourish again. Because I'm paying fifteen hundred dollars to win this weekend or three thousand dollars to win next weekend. What they're going to say is when you're not paying that, they're not coming to your racetrack. And that I think that that's happening too much in this region. And I'm going to harp on it, and I take flack for it. Uh, I, I hear it when I go to racetracks. Hey, y'all, not say stuff like that. That's, that's bringing negative attention to the racetrack. I'm gonna, I, I'm just gonna keep it honest and real, and I'm gonna continue to harp on it. We're paying too much. It's too many big races. I know that racetracks feel like they've got to compete with each other. If you would just open your gates back up to weekly racing and farm your own drivers. We wouldn't have to be competing on. Well, I'm going to pay more than the other tracks tonight because I need their cars. That's I, that's hey, that's where I come from. Can can I get you guys to chime in? Because y'all all y'all are, even my teammates are always so quiet when I start discussing this. Is there any comments well, that you guys would like to say? It it depends on the tracks though, because I mean, and also the whoever's running the show too, because I mean you have. Let's say for I'll use Fonda for example, and this is there's a reason why Fonda before Brett Dale would be great for like the first say like two weeks I would probably say, and then it would just kind of die off, and then once the final two weeks of the point paying season came in, then it would heat back up, and then of course you have the Fonda Fair, which kind of delays everything then also we kind of get back into racing but it's only for like two weeks but that's for like big events where we pay like 
like at least ten grand for the, at least the modifies anyway. And then you have then of so of course track. I'm not sure what the payout structure was like before Brett Dale, and I'm sure it couldn't be that great because some drivers were just they were too into like into I think at that point it was like the dirt car world so it was hard to sometimes it's hard to really pick a home track for at least the dirt car sanctioned stuff because not only do you have a track to go to on Friday night that runs the same dirt car specs because you have to think of well who's going to pay me more if they're worth driving out there but I'm also trying to, you know, save me some money. It's just kind of hard. And I know Fonda was struggling you, at that point when they went dirt car sanction, but now with Brett Dale in hand, Brett Dale's just like, here's money. And it may have come down to sponsorship in a way, too, because a lot of people had said they would rather race with Dale versus some other little series or other local tracks because of the fact that Dale brings in – sponsorship because they have bonuses and stuff like that. There are guys who literally started small with Brett Dale, regardless if they ran one of Dale's tracks or they ran his series stuff. They And they were kind of scratching and clawing at times. And, and until they ran with Dale and started, you know, getting the money coming in, not just money because of where they finished, but also like some of these bonuses that, sponsors are you know putting up it it kind of helps them out in a way so i think it's i think in a way it just comes down to sponsorships and how well can you market your track and i know carl law mentioned this but sometimes sponsorship is hard to come to come and find really and are you going to really find a well what good paying sponsor to help you out with the track and our, what's the marketing process for not only your track but also the sponsor and what you're saying is legitimate but I think it's a little off off the key what I'm talking about Taz and I'm going to tell you why when a driver decides to boycott that racetrack for this that and the other they're not boycotting the racetrack what you said in all that was fine and dandy as long as we keep it on the business side of things and we think about racing as a business but we're missing one important factor. Every time a driver boycotts his local track and passes that speedway to go race with somebody else, who is that driver really affecting? The one thing that he says he's there racing for, and that is the fan, Taz Taylor. That is the fan. Because I'm going to tell you what, when they open a nice, found and dandy restaurant in here in town, and I like going to that restaurant every Friday night, well, they decide to close that door, and I can't go to that restaurant anymore on Friday night. Uh, yeah, I could go 200 miles down the road to that same restaurant that's opened up in another town. But what's going to wind up happening, Taz Taylor? I'm going to go no, and I find something else to do. I'm going to go find something else to do. So just because this track isn't paying a, a humongous amount of purse money every weekend doesn't mean that you should bypass that track and go race somewhere else every weekend because the one thing that we are lacking in this sport are fans. And we have yet to figure out that if we're not putting on a show for these guys, we're not going to have racing around. Because performance parts industry keeps telling us, hey, 
racing's fine. Buy this part. You want more speed? Buy this part. You know, but but in the whole time that they're doing that, there's also all that money that they're spending on their race cars. And so when they get called a certain way at their local track, they say, well, I'm not racing there anymore. I'm going up the road. Well, then that track maybe doesn't make it after two or three years. Guess what? Guess who hurts in that community? The fans do. And then what happens? Those fans only go to one or two races out of the year because they have to travel to go to them. We wonder what's wrong with short track racing. may not be a problem up in the north. Down here in the south, if you're not within racing and you're not within the league, there's not outside sponsorship. We don't we don't have big-time sponsors sharing anything. I, I'll give that back. There's a great man named Henry Cooper of Country Pleasing Sausage, and he helps out dirt tracking as much as he can. A lot of the companies that are built from within the industry are are, are are already love racing as a whole. They come in and they help support it. The problem that we have is bringing the outside, the one that has no problem buying a sign down there at the football field or the baseball field or the soccer complex. They don't want to buy into a, a wall, a, a, a sign at the local racetrack. And that's, and that's, a, that's an issue. So, I mean, there's, 200 more episodes, I can harp on this. But, uh, you know, I, I completely understand where you're coming from in the big market teams. But down here where, you know, factory stock racing is the going thing right now because it's the most affordable racing. 602 Sportsman are the most uh, – Sportsman late models are the most – that's a steel-headed 300 horsepower. 602 are the most uh, a rounded uh, – uh, uh, a uh, uh, group of racers every night. Most of the time we have about a 20-car field uh, in factory stock, 15 to 20 cars in the 602 crates. You know, those those are the, the, the two best fields that we have. So what happens is every track around starts trying to pay more than the other guy to get those cars to come support their racetrack, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's gotten to the point around here where it's every weekend somebody's trying to outdo another racetrack. Guys, let's just get back to weekly racing and let's support our support our own drivers. Go back to five, six big shows uh, throughout the year where all the racers travel to and try to make a name for themselves statewide. I'm just saying we've taken local racing and we've tried to 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 to, to be mainstream, and every track is not going to be Daytona or Talladega. I'm done. Oh no, I get it because like I saw I did a little bit of research and this is I'm gonna throw throw this in quick before we get to uh, do Kansas. Take Bethel Motor Speedway as an example because before they were became a NASCAR sanctioned track for only for only a few divisions, not all, but only a few. They they were losing car count. They were losing certain things, and I don't know what they were losing why they were losing until some driver said, well, we don't mind traveling, but there's other tracks we're missing here too. And that kind of kills. And I was like, why, what makes Bethel so much better than there? Why didn't you go there to start with? And I can understand why you would go to Bethel now because not, it's now an NASCAR sanction track, but it kind of confused me in a way. Like, why did they miss, the tracks closer to them because they have guys that not only are from New York, but they also get guys from like New Jersey, Connecticut. I mean, they're pulling guys from all over the Northeast for the most part. And it was just odd to like, 
are you really closer to Bethel or is there another track closer by you that you're missing out on? So, I'm, so with your point there, it's just, it kind of sucks in a way. So, but I mean, glad that Bethel's getting their name back out now. I'm glad Fonda's getting back to where it used to be. Hopefully Uticrome has the same success because Uticrome did not run at all last year due to COVID restrictions and the people just didn't have anything to kind of run it. And now they have a new track owner and new team over there. So hopefully Uticrome gets turned around once again, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I just think the whole experiment of uh, let's let's out money our, our racetrack down the road. I think that experiment is, uh, has played itself out, and we just need to get back to weekly racing. I think the whole point of being off this weekend and racing next weekend was to give these tracks opportunities to put on big shows, and it just has gone way too far. I'll, we'll have people that always agree, and then we'll always have people that disagree. Um, I'm not afraid to put my comments out there, and uh, it's just like, uh, it's just like uh, everybody else's opinion. Um, they're entitled to it. So let's get on into the uh, uh, the closing end of this show. Um, of course, this is where we'll preview Kansas. Is there anything that we left on the table real quick uh, from this past weekend, Talladega? Fred Keselowski, the winner. Uh, the Xfinity winner was uh, – who was the Xfinity yep. winner? Did we cover that? Jeb Burton won the Xfinity race. In Jeb the Burton, very and first AJ. winner. A.J. Allmendinger took on the Dash for Cash. Yeah, just close, man. A.J. was real close. Colin Grayson's uh, got some of the first plate tracks in Xfinity, but... The Colin Grayson, and they had a chance. We did not talk about Cavs Grala finishing in the top five uh, in the cup side with uh, Kellogg uh, 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 racing as well. And... and kind of disappointed in the performance in the 99 track house team. Uh, that was something that I wanted to get to. I really, I'm really, i so interested in, in really talking more about these backmarker teams uh, as we continue to bring on people like Carl along because the interest there from what they're able to accomplish so far exceeds the accomplishments of, a, say, a Martin Truex Jr. Or a, or a Team Penske, right? Those guys don't go without. Uh, so when you get a guy on like Carl Long, it really just uh, just gets that inside burden to bring on more of these uh, black sheep of the family drivers, these, these uh, 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 short-budgeted race teams, whatever it is that you want to call it. We know what they are. They're the true heart and soul of racing, and I hate that I didn't use that terminology uh, when we had Carl Long because that's exactly what I believe they are. They're the true heart and soul of racing, and they helped this thing carry on each year. If it wasn't for these teams that showed up uh, week in, week out, we would look like IndyCar every weekend starting about 20 cars. <laughs> yeah, so, so somebody we shared, got... shared the points, and uh, I believe the points that were shared was actually if the playoffs started today. So since that's what we have in front of us uh, and, and we're going to do uh, a preview of Kansas, we can't talk about a preview without looking first at who's in the points because it's going to kind of determine uh, where we start at Kansas. So uh, I got, with Martin I'm, work, I'm working on it yeah. work right here. So <clears throat> right, right now locked in based on wins is Martin Truex Jr. with two, 
Everyone else I'm about to read off will have one. That is, well, I should say T-Rex has two wins. Barney has one win. Falalala Larson has a win. Giggles Logano has a win. Free Willy with a win. Star BK has a win. Ding Dong Bell with a win. Mickey D, Michael McDowell has a win. Showman Bowman has a win. And then right now, based on points, Denny Hamster is in. Happy Harvick is there. Face that runs a place, Chase Elliott. Bushy Bushy Bitch, Kyle Bush is there. Rhinestone Cowboy, Austin Dillon. Recky Spinhouse is in. And uh, Bush and Chris Busher rounds out the top 16. Dibby outside looking in and Kurt Busch outside looking in. Uh, 12 and 13 points respect, uh, respectfully. 10 races in. 20, uh, 16 to go, 26 for the for the full amount of the of uh, uh, regular season races. We've got nine winners, only one multiple multiple winner. There's still seven spots left open uh, for the chase. And if we get more than seven, somebody who won the whole win in your end theory will be completely blown because somebody will be on the outside looking in. We have Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott. Kyle Bush and Kurt Bush. Those are five legitimate drivers who could win this season without the toss up that the road courses or possibly another super speedway because I believe we still have two super speedways, two more super speedways to go to. Uh, well, okay, one more in the chase, uh, as, as, as somebody good thinking there. Um, the possibility of actually getting 16 different winners in the Cup Series in a 26-race span. Guys, do you think it's possible? Craig. I'm sorry. Smile, say Craig's looking at you. Okay. Okay. I'm there. I'm sorry. here. I didn't fall asleep. I had you on mute. I think that you're right, absolutely right, Chris. If we have uh, this this whole one win and you're in thing could be done. It could be proved to be a moot point this year. If uh, if that happens, and it'll just show the what you need to be consistent. Here is here is what consistency does for you. Just look at the top of the points. Denny Hamlin has an eighty. Six-point lead. The guy hasn't won a race yet this year. That is amazing. Um, you know, but he's consistent. And that's what gets the job done, is being consistent. So, you know, this whole one winning win thing is pretty much a moot point if we keep having first-time winners. So different so winners do we every see week. Sixteen winners. Do we see sixteen winners, or do we see more? I, I don't mean I don't even want to go there yet. Do we see sixteen winners? Yes or no? I don't think so. I think once I think once everybody starts hitting their stride, and they better hurry up. Like Chase Elliott, like Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch. Um, you know, I think that. They're going to start rattling off. They're going to start rattling off more wins, and more wins than just one. Seven spots, sixteen races. I think it's wide open. 
Taz Taylor, I think that we could we could possibly see sixteen different winners in the Cup Series because Kevin Harvick will win, Denny Hamlin will win, Chase Elliott's going to win, Kyle Busch is going to win, Kurt Busch is going to win. We're going to see Matt Diamondetto get the one hundred win for Wood Brothers, and I'm just going to come off the wall and say. Eric Jones is going to come up with a fluke win. That's the seven spots field. There's so many other guys I could have went with other than Eric Jones. Some will say Bubba Wallace. I'm just showing you how legit 16 winners could be. Taz Taylor, your opinion. I, it, I'm not going to say there won't be 16 winners, but I am open to the fact that there possibly could be. Ten races in, we have nine different winners, and we're coming up two tracks we haven't even gone to yet at this rate. So, I, as much as I want to say no, I'm keeping my mind open that there could be because there's just so much unknown. This season's just been that wild. I mean, Jones could sneak in a win. We saw Cole Custer sneak in a win out of nowhere last year, and he was quiet through his rookie season last year. So, if we had that last year, and we're starting off with this this year, I I can't give a definite answer because I'm that open-minded and there's that possibility. But I, but after this week, I'm really hoping that DiBenedetto gets a win. I'm, I'm also pulled for... Eric Jones, I'm still hoping that he gets in, or he does better in that 43 instead of how Bubba does in the 23, but that's just me. I, I kind of agree with Miss Lee. She just said that uh, she thinks that Matty D will win his, his way in. So I just uh, – I, I agree. I think that – yeah, you could have just jinxed him, Miss Lee, but we will see. I think it would be great to see him, man. And let's do some picks to wrap it up. I'll let you start, Taz. For trucks, I have a couple of ones I'm looking at. I could, I could look at the driver's. Yeah, Kyle Busch is a favorite. He's racing this week, blah, blah, blah. I'm not riding that train. I'm sorry. I I like to go for a truck regular. So I'm looking at guys that could, you know, sneak in something like maybe a Zane Smith or maybe Christian Eckes since he's driving the Thor Sport 98 this week. Is you could put Grant and Finger in there, but I'm not too sure being he's in that Roar Ball 9. And they have they have decent equipment, but they're not the best. So I'm looking – I could look in there, but I'm going to have to go with a Toyota driver again. But I'm going off the Hattori Racing Camp. I'm going Austin Hill. And then for the cup side – there's a number of them I could look at. I could look at Blaney. I could look at Jones even as an underdog. He runs well at this track. Well, fairly decent. Let's put it that way. 
could look at Truex, who's decent here, but I would. I'm gonna pull one for the Chevy team this week. He does have one win here, and I'm gonna hope to God that I didn't jinx him. But I'm hoping that Hendrick gets all four drivers into the playoffs based on wins. I'm going with Chase Elliott. <laughs> I don't know, but your uh, your mic's not on. All right, well, since we're waiting on Craig uh, with his picks, I-, I can't miss the opportunity. I need to catch up a little bit on the uh, – Uh, on the truck series side, so I, I mean, Kyle Busch is like 0 for 3 this year, right? <laughs> I can't leave him, him, I mean, him of, on the table. Two of them, two of them, he purposely gave up to John Hunter, but I'm not going there. All right, so he's not going to give up on this one because Kyle Busch still likes to win. This is uh, going to be his first win of the season. We, that's not the biggest subject going on right now. At Race Chat Live, the uh, lack of uh, Stuart Haas racing and Kyle Busch, we should say the lack thereof. Uh, but I'm going with Kyle Busch for the win this weekend in the Truck Series and then in the Cup Series. Uh, you know, it's really all eyes on Hendrick as we got less than two minutes to go. Um, all eyes on Hendrick here at Kansas Seaway. They seem to be, uh, you know, right there where they need to be in the mile and a half uh, speed wave. Uh, the question is, do you go with Alex Bowman? Do you go with William Byron? Do you uh, think that this is Chase Elliott's time? I, I think this is a high-group racetrack. I think that falls right into uh, an Alex Bowman or a Kyle Larson-type racetrack. Uh, this will probably be the best car that Kyle Larson has ever had at Kansas. I don't have any stats in front of me uh, about uh, long live Mike Perricone. Rest in peace, my brother, as we said, stats. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I do know uh, that uh, he runs well at these types of racetracks. There's no way that I can leave it on the table. I'm here to whoop you guys in this in this points thing. So I'm going with uh, Kyle and Kyle this weekend. Kyle Bush for the Truck Series. Kyle Kyle uh, uh, Kyle Larson for the Cup Series. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Kyle Bush in the truck because I need to make some points and. Uh, it's a toss-up between a Hendrick car and Kyle Busch uh, in the Cup Series. So I'm gonna, good Lord, I'm gonna take Kyle for both. I'm gonna take Kyle for both. He's got to be pissed off, and uh, he's got to be aching for his first win this year. He can't go that long. Uh, like he did last year. I mean, he can, but you know that he doesn't want to, obviously. So I'm going to take him for both races this year and hope I didn't jinx him like Miss Lee. Besides, I need to make up some points. Going with Kyle Busch for both both races. Yes, sir. He's pulling out the sweep. I I say it right now. If, If Craig Moore... He should get 20 extra points if he comes up with the sweep. He's predicting the sweep. I, I, I say 20 points should be put on the line for that. 
Do you agree? Ten seconds, nine, eight, test. We're now off the air. All right, go for it. 20 extra points added if Craig Moore gets the sweep. Nice. How do you like that, Craig Moore? Moore is better. I love it. Moore is better. What do you know about that? He may have... He may have two correct guesses, but I mean he, he he's going for a long bargain like I kind of did, you know, pull two correct picks in one weekend. I'm telling yeah, you, yeah, but you the didn't Kyle, do the same there. I say Kyle and Kyle. He says Kyle times two. Yes, sir. All right, I want to thank you guys for. What a great show. I want to thank you guys for an awesome show tonight. It was phenomenal. I want to thank Carl Long for joining us for not only <clears throat> the 30 minutes, but 45. He is definitely entertaining. Chris, we need to reach out to Timmy Hill on Twitter and Daniel Suarez uh, and try to get them on in June or July because I would love to sit down and interview those guys as well. So I just want to thank you guys for another awesome show. Excuse me, Taz, if I have to come show you how to use the Zoom thing, I will. All right, last last thing. We haven't done this in a while. What did you learn from the guest? What did I learn from the guest? I learned... Sponsorship is tough. Sponsorship is very tough, It doesn't, and it doesn't matter who it is. Um, and that even in NASCAR, people are backstabbing no good son of a guns. <laughs> and what I learned today about our guest was Carl Long is a cool guy, and I want him on again. But I really have a lot more thought, but I, I just didn't piece that together in time uh, to be able to say it. We're already off the air. If you're still following us and you're listening to the podcast, we appreciate you for the extended uh time to this. We don't normally keep Craig up one minute after his bedtime, but today we did, so it's very special, and we should all feel honored. Everybody give give a round of applause. Craig Moore stayed up one minute late, but we got to let him go, and uh, we got to get some, some shut-eye. Taylor? Well, this has been Reach Chat Live on Block Talk Radio. Always listen to us on anywhere you can get podcasts like Spotify, Apple, Tunes, uh, iHeartRadio, anything like that. Uh, Want to thank Carl on for coming on again. This has been Race Chat Live with the 110 Nation Sports on Blog Talk Radio. We'll see you same time, same place, 8 o'clock Eastern. We'll have Luke Rikaki as our guest next week. And this has been the Caution Flag of Radio, Chris Creighton, the DJ Moore to Music Man, Craig Moore, I'm the Tasmanian Double Flaggers, Taz Taylor, saying so long, good night. We'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw. Been in trouble with the law since the day they were born. Raising the curves, planting the hills. Someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will. Making their way.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.